Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, we continue today with our series, Walking with Jesus in the Gospel of John. If you're new here, and I see a few new people, and some of you are VBS families, and we're glad you're here. We had a great VBS this week. Uh, we had uh, six salvations. I think two or three are more here today uh, for that, but it was a great week, and I appreciate Vicki and all those team members and all those who helped. There were so many of you that helped, and we... Thank you so much. VBS is always a wonderful time of outreach and ministry. And even though we only had three days of it, it was still powerful uh, for that. All right, but we're in the process of a series, those of you that are new. We've started in January working our way and walking our way through the Gospel of John with the intent to get an accurate picture of who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and then what he expects of us. Because there are so many different traditions and everybody has a different kind of take on who Jesus is. But we need to see what the Bible says about it and choose to follow that and to claim that and to believe that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, and have eternal life so that we can then become his authentic and genuine followers. Well, we're up to the chapter 12, so if you want to take your Bibles, turn to chapter 12. It's also in your bulletin, and the app, church app has it, plus all the notes uh, on it, if you want to pull that up. But John chapter 12, we're starting the second half of the book now. We're on the downside. Uh, we've sort of went halfway through the year, so we're halfway through the series. Uh, but uh, we're, the, this first 11 chapters pretty much was the first three, uh, first three years of Jesus' ministry. The last 10 or 11 uh, gives us the last week of Jesus' life. So John focuses over half of his book on just the last week, which is, falls in line with John's intent to focus on Jesus and why he came. You know, often in, the, in the John it talks about the hour for Jesus, his hour has come or the hour has not come. But it's all about the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's what it's about. And so that's why the extended time. So from this point out, we're sort of getting ready and moving towards the cross and the resurrection and the very important thing. Now, today's passage takes place on a Saturday before, uh, about six days before the Passover. We know that because the Passover started on, well, what we call now Thursday evening, but in the old days, they, they started the new day at sundown. So like tonight at, at 8 o'clock sundown, it would automatically be Monday. But uh, follows through the next day. But we're coming to this last week of Jesus' life. And we find Jesus back in the town of Bethany. Now, Bethany is a little town two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's sort of a little suburb of it. And it's a place where a lot of people would stay during the festival time. Just like we have a lot of festivals here and people come in and stay at the hotels and in the towns all around. Well, Bethany was a place where a lot of people would stay. It was also a place where Jesus went often. He had some of his dearest, closest friends 
who lived in Bethany. And just the week before, he had performed the miraculous, amazing event of raising Lazarus from the dead. And we talked about that two weeks ago. Well, after that event, as you can imagine, if somebody came back from the dead, it causes quite a stir. Uh, a lot of people were believing, but more people were upset, especially the religious leaders. Because you remember the religious leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, and the, and the uh, Sadducees, all had their little religious system set up. Their little synagogue system, you had to give this way, you had to give them respect. and They really had a power structure going on there. And they didn't want it messed up. But Jesus was messing it up. So when this happened, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, man, everybody knew that. Everybody could see that. So they got extremely angry, and they decided they wanted to kill Jesus. Well, Jesus got wind of it, because he knows everything. So he just eased out of town and went back into the wilderness and began to pray and gather with his disciples until the Saturday. And that's where we pick up. So this video that we're going to watch now, if you're new here, we've been watching just a few minutes clips of the movie Gospel of John where they literally use the words right from the scripture and act those out. It gives us that sort of personal, intimate understanding and kind of places us there because in this setting today, we find a focus on worship. Authentic, genuine worship, but also dishonorable and unworthy worship. And today our goal is to make sure that we are authentic and genuinely worshiping Jesus and that none of these traits of inauthentic worship are in our life. And we'll be talking about hands, homes, and hearts, and we'll work through that on that one. But let's watch this little video clip. Six days before the Passover, Jesus went to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from death. They prepared a dinner for him there, which Martha helped serve. Lazarus was one of those who were sitting at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a whole pint of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The sweet smell of the perfume filled the whole house. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold? For three hundred silver coins. the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would help himself from it. Leave her alone. Let her keep what she has for the day of my burial. You will always have poor people with you. But you will not always have me.
large number of people heard that Jesus was in Bethany. So they went there, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from death. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus too, because on his account many Jews were rejecting them and believing in Jesus. All right, well, that was a very emotional and moving uh, section of uh, Scripture there that gives us a wide expansion of various emotions. There's love, there's tenderness, there's honor, there's also pride and anger and selfishness. All these things are in the world today, and we're tempted by all those. Well, today I want to use this passage of Scripture and talk about worship, authentic and genuine worship. Worship that includes our hands, our homes, and our hearts. And we'll work through these. But this passage of Scripture here is, is it's a beautiful narrative section. It, it would be a perfect play or a drama uh, to act out as it was so well acted out here. So let's sort of look at it as a morality play in a sense. You know, back in the Middle Ages, they had, they had roaming groups of religious groups that would go around and they would have these plays that they would put on and they would act out various biblical scenes to, in order to let the people understand and to get some principles of morality and truth and righteousness from that. So let's look at this. There are seven actors or characters in this, this play or this drama. Of course, this was a real-life drama. But we had Jesus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, which were brother and sister, by the way. Then Judas, boo hiss, okay. The crowd, and then the chief priest. You can boo and hiss on them too. But let's walk through these groups. The, the first four tell us positive things about worship. The bottom three gives us bad or mixed. Uh, the crowd actually has some good and some bad in it. But let's take them one by one and see what it talks about. We, talk, we start off with Jesus. It's always good to start with Jesus. Uh, this is the opening scene. He's in this one twice. He has two, two lines, two key lines in this section. Verse 1, six days before the Passover. Now, the Passover started like on the Thursday evening, so they were talking about a Saturday. Probably it was a Sabbath, and they were having a meal that night. So it was a night meal at the close of Sabbath, and they, they had traditionally... Uh, Jews or people who follow the Hebraic tradition have a meal on the Saturday evening to sort of close out uh, the Sabbath. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, remember, it was in Bethany the week before that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus had went away under pressure, came back, and this was really a coming out party. A coming out party for Lazarus from the tomb. And then it was a celebration party for Jesus and what he did. So Jesus had come to Bethany and he was raised from the dead. So the story starts out with focusing the first person is the most important person. That's Jesus. So in this we're, we're, we learn that he is the object of our worship. He is worthy of honor and of worship. Now at that time... In, in the first century, there was a mixed crowd. 
There was a small group of faithful followers who worshipped Jesus. They, they, they believed he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But the bulk of the people did not. And many of those were actually had a great animosity toward Jesus. They hated him. And they refused to even honor him as a good prophet or teacher, much less the Son of God. But this is setting the stage for us to know that true worship, Jesus is the object of our worship. And he is the one. It's not laws and legalities and spiritual things and not ourselves, but it is Jesus. So that's the first story. And we'll come back and catch another object of this uh, concept. But we're focusing on Jesus and what he did. Now, let's look at those who encountered him. The first was Martha. Verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him, Jesus, there. Martha was serving them. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting, Martha was serving him. You know, four words that just seem to kind of pass by. But in actuality, when you read behind the lines, it's the first of three vital and key elements of worship. And without these three, you're not being fully authentic and genuine. You may be worshiping, but it's, you're not giving it the fullest account. She is the perfect example of, of, of a form of worship called worship through serving. And you'll see where our hands, you remember the three H's, hands, homes, art. This is your hands. Serving with your hands, worshiping the Lord. And then you'll notice underneath there is a word that I hope rings a bell as you walk through the atrium every Sunday. On the wall, there are three blocks of, of writings. The first one is proclaiming God's love through uh, evangelism and mission. The second one is celebrating God's love through worship and fellowship. And the third is applying God's love through ministry and discipleship. That's our three key purposes. Everything we do, we try to see, does it fit under one of these areas? Is it helping us proclaim God's love? Is it celebrating it? Or is it applying? And we kind of focalized on that. Martha gives us a biblical example of, it's the third one, but they all are equal, applying God's love through the ministry that she is. Serving is legitimate worship if your attitude and motive is right. And it is a key and vital element. In the scriptures, it talks about, Jesus says this, he looked at his disciples and said, you know, you know, you fed me and you've clothed me and you visited me when I was naked and, and in prison. And they looked at him and said, Jesus, we've been with you for three years and none of those things we've done. He said, yes, when you did that to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. So the poor, the lonely, the hurt, the, the disabled, the prison, the cup of water that you give somebody. You're not doing it for that person. You're doing it for Jesus. So the serving, what you do, the service, the ministry, what Martha was doing here, she was worshiping the Lord. That was part of her worship. And many of you here, I could kind of point you out, that have the gift of, of ministry and of, uh, of service and, and helps. We've had a, our serious, this, uh, spiritual uh, gift studies here in the past. But So that may be your main form of worship. But... Every single one of us here should be serving with our hands. We should be ministering and caring. Whether you have a spiritual gift for that or not, it's just like evangelism. There is a gift, a spiritual uh, spiritual gift of evangelism. But 
Everybody should be witnessing it and evangelizing. Same thing with service. If you're not serving the Lord, then you are not completely and authentically and genuinely worshiping God. So it's important. But I also need to make note it is that serving alone is not enough. You just can't serve and think, well, that's all I need to do. That's one part of at least three sections. But it is a vital and key role. So I want to ask you to think about and evaluate your hands, your service. Are you serving the Lord with your hands? There are so many things that we need to be done here. Right now, in this hour, we have some people from our church sitting with our preschoolers in the back, extended care. We need different people to help rotate through, and it would be very seldom that you'd have to miss a service. But that's one way to serve. Teaching our preschool, our Sunday school, our children's, our student ministry. We need people to serve and minister there. BBS this last week, we had a lot of people creating things with their hands and working and serving and putting up and this. We need that. Every one of you here have, as far as I know, physically you have two hands, but you still have a, a, a mind and a body to work, even if you don't. You need to be using it in worship of God. Not out of obligation, but out of love. And appreciation. So Martha teaches us the first of these principles of worshiping with our hands through serving. Well, let's go to her brother, Lazarus. This is the guy who was dead, literally, the week before. Now, we find him, so they gave a dinner for him there, Martha was serving them, we find Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Okay, just like Martha, Martha's words was serving them was pretty simple. Reclining at the table with him. That doesn't seem to tell us much. But if you look underneath, you'll see the second of the key vital aspects of what genuine and authentic worship looks like. It's worship through fellowship. And I'm using the term homes, and you'll understand once I talk about it more. It supports the second of our three purposes Celebrating God's love through worship and fellowship. So here was Lazarus worshiping the Lord by fellowshipping with him. He was reclining with him. What that meaning was is that he was focused on Jesus. He was there looking, listening, and just being with Jesus. He was just hanging out with him. You know, it's an important aspect of our relationship is just to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what God wants from us, to be in the presence. And that's why we, in our spiritual discipline study that we did last few weeks, we had the idea of silence and solitude and meditation. You need some time to set aside where you're just focused on the Lord Jesus in your home and then to come here to church to do the others. Now, where does the homes fit into this? Well, it looks like they were at Lazarus's and Mary Martha's home. Now, the other three Gospels give a, a, an account of the anointing of Jesus. I believe there's two different ones. Uh, so they're different. So I'm not even addressing the other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're not even talking about what they are. Because so, some of them say it was in the home of Simon. But I think that was the other anointing. This, I believe, was at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' home. If not, they were the host and they were the key element. But they opened up their home... And invited Jesus in, 
and invited other people in so that they could experience Jesus. You see how, how wonderful that is? Many of some of you do that. You open your homes up to people. But we need to do more of that. The spiritual gift of hospitality and mercy and serving kind of join together in this area. All of us here should be using our home as a source of worship. The Old Testament and the New Testament supports that, but gives us the foundational teaching that spiritual formation, development, and teaching is not to be taking place at a church or a synagogue for its main source. It's the home. The home is where God has said that's where you need to learn and study and honor God. How well are you worshiping God in your home? Are you reading the Bible every day? Are you sitting with your family and reading the Bible and talking about it, praying over meals? Are you talking about Jesus? Are you having studies with your family? If not, you should. Imagine what it would be like here on Sunday if for six days you had worship service at your house and then you came here and joined this family for worship. What a difference it would make. Don't miss out on the key aspect of fellowship. Sometimes you just need to hang out with Jesus. Just be in his presence and enjoy him. I mentioned this little uh, visual picture before of just a child crawling up in the lap of a parent or a grandparent. We just need to come to, to Jesus and just crawl up in his lap and sit there at the throne and, and worship him. Our home should be a place where we worship. Parents, guardians, you have a responsibility. Men especially, but everyone has a, a part to play. You need to make sure that your family knows who God is and that they see Jesus in your life. They see you worshiping, you reading the Bible, and you following him. And when they see you following, it's going to give them the freedom and the, the likelihood that they will do that. Let's make our homes a place of worship where we fellowship with the Lord and with our family. Now, you can take the concept of home and move it here to your church home. Every Sunday morning, you should be here. Not because we just want to have a good crowd, which is nice, but because you need to be here to celebrate the fellowship of God's love. We celebrate his love together. You should be here. The scripture teaches that. You should make it a point. Our homes we should worship in, our church we should worship in. Even at your business, it's sort of a home away from home. Your school, maybe a social club that you go into. You need to celebrate fellowship with Jesus wherever you go. And then as back to our home home, our residential home, he invited people in. I want to encourage you to invite people into your home. Feed them a meal, take care of them, spend some time with them, watch a game, do something. Build a relationship. And then the Holy Spirit will lead you and you'll be able to have an opportunity to just express and tell them about Jesus, what he means to you, and that, that you would love for them to have that. We need to be active with our homes as well as our hands in worship. Amen? All right, let's move to the other sibling, the third of the pair, Mary. And she sort of summarizes sort of the, you know, the, the peak of, of this worship experience. 
Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. There is so much built into that. I could preach a whole sermon on it. I won't. But I could preach a whole sermon on just that, that verse. But the key here is, is that we see worship through sacrificial devotion. Her heart was fully devoted to the Lord, sacrificing. And this was an act of proclamation. She proclaimed God's love for her, her love for him, and we'll see you in this next point, a proclamation of his destiny. So let's look at this gift and see how it, it breaks down. First of all, which may be a little surprising to start off with this one, it's a reminder of his impending death. One week from that time, or it's a Saturday, the, the fr- next following Friday, Jesus was going to be on a cross and died and dead. Now, I believe Jesus knew that, but nobody else knew that. But somehow or another, Mary was spiritually in tune. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to her and encouraged her to, to use her hands, her home, and her heart to sacrificially do something for Jesus. That nard was one of the spices. Many of the spices, you know, I talked about how Jesus' body was wrapped with spices and things. Well, one of those was this nard type stuff. It was, a, it was an extravagant gift that, that anointed Jesus. And so in a way, Mary is acting in a prophetic role. She is a prophet in this role in that she is prophesying and foretelling of Jesus' death. And she is honoring that and preparing Jesus for that. Now, whether she knew the whole story is not the issue. She was obedient. That's the issue. That's what we need to be, is obedient. Jesus was fixing to die. That was what he came for. He didn't come to do miracles and heal the sick. He came to die for our, and take care of our sin debt. That's the hour that he came for. That's why it's so important that we keep that in mind. So Mary is acting in a prophetic role in this one. Secondly, it's a picture of extravagant love. Now, in the next verse, and you probably saw it on the video clip, he said 300 silver coins, and this one version says 300 denarii. But a denarii, or one silver coin, was one day's labor, a wage. So basically, it's, it's nearly a year's salary. So at, whether whatever salary you make, 10, 40, 10 to 40,000, whatever your average salary may be, or 50,000, it was a lot. It was extremely expensive. It was an extravagant gift. It was also an illustration of humble service. And we're built, we're built into this. Look at this verse again. She anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. Now, that doesn't seem to be extremely odd, but it was. At that time, her act was one of the most humiliating and really scandalous acts that you can imagine. you got to put yourself in that place. 2,000 years ago. Women, you may think you have a hard time today, and I think you do. I, I, I think you do have a hard time. But at that point in time, women were considered second or really third class citizens. When they walked down the street, they had to cover their face and they could not 
make eye contact with another man if it wasn't her husband. Much less speak to another man. Much less touch another man who's not her husband. Much less touch his feet. In that day, the feet were the dirtiest, vilest, most offensive part of the body. Why? Well, they wore sandals, they walked dirty roads, and, and you walk behind the, the friendly neighborhood donkey, and you, you, you can get the picture there. Filthy. Nobody wanted to touch the feet. Only the lowest of the slaves bathed and washed feet. So here we find Mary not only touching his feet, but pouring expensive years' salary worth of ointment on his feet. And then doing the third uh, humble and rather scandalous idea. Most of you women here that are married, on your left hand there's a ring or two that pretty much symbolizes that you're married. Well, in that day they didn't have that. What they had was, if you were not married, you were young and unmarried, you had long flowing hair that just kind of just waved in the wind. It's so like, I'm available, I'm available, you know, walking through the street. But once they got married, you're not available anymore. So tied it up, bundle, and you bound it up, and you never let it out in public. Because only unmarried women, young unmarried women, or women of the street, if you know what I'm talking about, wore their hair down. You women who wear your hair down, that is not an indication. Okay, you're fine with your long hair. Okay, but in that day, many of you would have been either, you'd be, you'd been looked at very strangely, uh, especially since you ain't got nothing on your head. You're supposed to be covering your head in those days. So there was a lot of different cultural things there. Now, none of these things did God or Jesus advocate or prescribe. This is just a description of what happened. In those days... The culture was wrong in its, uh, in its way it treated women. It was wrong. That was not God's plan. But that's the way it was. So we have to understand that's the way it was. But Jesus here is teaching us and working with Mary to show us to break these boundaries. What she did was an act of sacrificial devotion, a humility. And she didn't care what other people thought. Can you imagine... What the disciples and other people must have thought when Mary walked in there. Number one, what was she doing in there with a group of men anyway? You're not supposed to be in there other than serve and get out. But to come be so audacious as to kneel down, take Jesus' feet, wash them, and pour that oil and wipe her hair with it. I'm sure those disciples went, what? can't believe this. She's in here. She's touching his feet. She's putting her hair down. And they're ready to string her up like the Salem witch trials. But she didn't care. Because you see, Jesus is the object of worship, remember? It wasn't Lazarus. It wasn't the disciples. And it's not you or me that's the object of worship. You see, she didn't care what other people thought. And I think we need to be a, maybe kind of take some of that. We still need to worship in order and, 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 and uh, conformity. But maybe we should try to be a little bit more extravagant and open in our worship. If you want to raise your hands, you raise your hands. If you want to kneel in prayer, if you want to say amen, 
Or if you just want to sit there in quiet solitude, it's, it's worship. But you need to just let your devotion out. Don't worry about what people are thinking about you. Think about what Jesus is thinking of you. You're not here to impress me or anybody else in this sanctuary. And I'm not impressed by anything you do. I'm here to worship Jesus and to lead you to worship Jesus. If you're here for any other reason, you may still be worshiping him, but it's like a kindergarten worship versus the Ph.D. level where we need to be. Sacrificial devotion. And it was, as I mentioned, it's extravagant, and I want to pull this in here. Now don't, don't take this the wrong way. Don't think I'm judging or pushing, and especially those that are new. I am not a preacher who hounds people to give money all the time, and that's all it's about. But in this case, those of you that were here at the business meeting about a week ago, week and a half ago, we had a very dismal economic report. For the last six months, our budget, we're 20000 plus below budget. Now, that's budget. Now, we're very frugal here, so it's just expenditures that matter. But for the last six months, we spent $6,900 more than we took in. I don't know about your budget, your home, but that doesn't work out so well. Let me just ask you a question. I'm going to move off of this because I don't want to harp on this. But if we were all extravagant and humble in our worship and service, do you think we'd have had a budget shortfall? you think we'd be worried about people teaching our preschool children and youth? you think we'd be worried about people providing food for the hungry or the needs or when we have something that comes up they're going to serve? Again, I'm not here to pound you down and make you feel bad, but I want to shake you up a little bit and let's say, are you being extravagant? Because that's the pattern. That's what God wants from us. And let me ask you, you think Jesus deserves our extravagant love and worship? If you don't think he deserves it, then I can understand why you may not be doing it. That's why your motivation makes a difference. You see, this act here, You've heard the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, this act to Mary was an act of worship. But to Judas, it was a self-centered act of non-worship. Let's go to Judas. Everybody, boo, hiss. Okay, on Judas. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. And then John breaks in here. He kind of gives his little commentary. John the apostle... Since he wrote the book, he can do that. But he, this is 40-plus years after the resurrection, the crucifixion. So Jesus, Judah, uh, John has had four decades to process this event and all the things. And so what he's given us is accurate and true commentary on the situation. They didn't know this at the time, but looking back. So keep that in mind. So we're mixing time frames here. Judas, who was about to betray him, said... Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii? On the video it said 300 silver coins. It's the same thing. And given to the poor. And then John comes back with a commentary and says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and was still part of what was put in it. I guess you could say that John and Judas were not besties. Okay, they, they really were. 
John saw through who Judas was. Now, not at the time, but after the point, he began to see. Because, you know, a lot of times people can fool us. Have you ever had somebody who said they were your friend or a family member and, you know, they, they act a certain way on the outside, but then next thing you know, they've turned and stabbed you in the back? That's what Judas is doing. He was a thief. Now, he had been following Jesus. He had been in a worship services with Jesus for three years. But all along the line, he was slipping in the money pocket and taking out that one and putting it in his. That was dishonorable, self-serving greed. Now, I don't think any of you here do anything like that. But let's take it to a, a smaller level. You come to church, and, you, and subconsciously you think, well, I wonder what they're going to do for me today. I wonder if that music is going to be is what I want. That preacher's going to pre- preach a sermon that's like I like it. I wonder if the temperature's going to be what I like. You know, I wonder if you know, this and this is going to be what I like. Now, there's nothing wrong with having your preferences. But when you come here, you're not coming here to listen to a certain style of music. You're not coming here to listen to a certain style of preaching or attire. You're coming here because Jesus is the object of your worship. I could be the worst preacher in the world. No amens. No amens. I could be the worst preacher in the world. But you know what? You could still get something out of worship, especially if you've been worshiping for six days with him. You get that point? So that relieves me of my duty so much. I don't have to worry so much. But don't be like Judas, dishonoring, self-serving, and grief. Now, this is starting the, the no-no section, okay? The other was the yes section of worship. This is a no-no section. Now, we come back. Jesus slips in here and inter, intersects in this section, a closing scene. Jesus heard what Judas said, and he couldn't let it go. Remember I've said this before. Jesus always says the right thing to the right person at the right time. He knows. So whatever he says is right. He said to her, leave her alone. Now he may have said it angrily, kindly, or just whatever. But he said, leave her alone. She has kept it from the day of my burial. And really what that means talk about that, that the oil was impending death and talking about preparing his burial. Nobody else knew that, but Jesus did. And then he made this statement here. Jesus said, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Remember the first time we saw Jesus, we we see that he's the object of worship. And this one, he's teaching us he's the priority of worship. Now, this last verse has been uh, accused of being uh, out of of sorts, and that uh, it's inappropriate. Jesus is not saying that we should not help the poor. That's not what he's saying. Because he preached it, teached, taught it. But there's a time when you need to focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. But also, when you feed the poor, when you give a cup of cold water, when you fix the meal, when you build a house for somebody, you provide medical equipment for somebody, the person is not the focus. You're doing that because you're doing it for Jesus. So that takes away any pride or any idea and even the obligation of that person to be thankful. You ever given somebody money and you, next thing you know, they walk over there and buy a, a, a gallon of malt liquor and knock it back? 
Well, we do need to be wise with our giving and service. But you see, we give, we serve because of Jesus. Not for a pat on the back, not to click off and get a gold star or something, but because we love him and we want to be extravagant. And we know that when we give a cup of cold water, when we feed somebody, when we help somebody, when we send a card, when we bring a meal, when we just have a smile and say, hello, you know, God loves you. You are being a blessing from the Lord, and you're giving glory to the Lord. If you get that in our heads, we get that in our heads, it makes a big difference. Okay, let's go to the next one, the crowd. Now, this is, the crowd is mixed, okay? Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one who had been raised from the dead. That's the curious. Some of them just came because, man, man can't raise from the dead. I've got to see this. It's sort of like going to the old days, the Ring, Barnum Bailey and Ringling Brothers Circus. Let's go see the bearded lady and the elephant man and, and the, 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 the different people. Just to, just to gawk and be curious. That's what some of them did. But, jump over to verse 11, it says, But many of these same Jews were deserting them. Now, that's the religious leaders, the spiritual system. And they believe in Jesus. So the crowd gives us both contexts here. Authentic and inauthentic worship. The curious ones just came just because they wanted nothing else better to do or just because that's just the thing to do. But the other ones were truly committed. I want to ask you, are you curious here this morning about the things of God or are you committed to the things of God? If you come just to see what's going on or just because it's the thing to do or an obligation, that's not true worship. You need to be committed to the Lord in worship. Committed. That's where this team T3 comes in. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. You need to be committed in all these areas. And that's why we encourage church membership. All of you here, if you're a Christian, if you've accepted Christ, you're part of the eternal family of God or universal church, if you want to call it that, but of all the ages. You're part of that. But the New Testament specifically teaches about local churches, local leadership, and, and, and guides. First Baptist Broussard, me, our staff, our leaders, we need to know who we can count on. Just like if I was a coach of a football team. If you're not signed up and coming to practice and doing your job, how can I expect you to do the job that needs to be done? If I just say, oh, I'll look up in the crowd and say, okay, uh, you look like you could... You could maybe uh, play quarterback. Why don't you come on out here and try that? No, we need you to be committed. So think about it. if you're not, if you uh, haven't committed our church church membership to do that. But beyond that, commitment to the Lord and true worship and honoring Him. And then the last one, you can boo and hiss on these guys too. They, they, thank you, thank you. Therefore, the chief priests decided to kill Lazarus also. That means they had already decided to kill Jesus, or else they would say also. So. Because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, when Lazarus raised from the dead, man, that's the biggest advertisement for Jesus you can imagine. And so the, the chief priests and the leaders decided, we've got to snuff Jesus out. We've got to take him out. He's causing too much trouble. He's messing up our nice little power structure we got here. And by the way, that Lazarus, Man, he's a pain in the side. Everybody's going to him. We've got we to take him out too. See, they were prideful. Had, they were filled with hate. They were hard-hearted. 
they wanted God, they wanted to do things or have God do the things that supported them. It's that self-centeredness. Just like Judas, it was self-centeredness and hard-heartedness. They wanted what they wanted. It was their agenda. Chief priest were a bad example. Well, let's wrap it up here. The seven things. We've got Jesus, the object of our worship, and the priority of our worship. Martha and Lazarus and Mary teaching us proper worship through our hands, our, heart, our homes, and fellowship, and our hearts with sacrificial devotion. Judas shows us what not to do. The crowd causes us to question whether we're curious or whether we're committed. And then the chief priests are ones that we need to be wary of and make sure that we don't have any of that animosity, that hatred, that pridefulness that we want God to do what we want God to be. Because you see, authentic and genuine followers of Christ, they worship God with their hands in serving and applying God's love. They worship God with their hands by, by, by serving their homes with fellowship and service, and then their hearts through sacrificial devotion. How about you? Are you curious or are you committed? Are all these three elements of, involved in your worship? Or maybe today is a day for you to decide that you're going to begin to incorporate all three of these elements in authentic and genuine worship. Because Jesus is worthy of our worship. And our lives need to show that. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard of the message or read of the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.